everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Houston Astros can't be stopped, won't be stopped. Ten in a row for the Strohs as they take two games from the Twinkies yesterday in Minneapolis. They're going to look to make it 11 in a row as they begin a three-game set at the Washington Nationals tonight. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parts III, the big, bald, and beautiful one. I'm joined in the game studios by, of course, producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names. We appreciate you listening to us during your morning commute, whether that's on the radio dial or on the free game mobile app for both Android and Apple devices. That way you can take us wherever you go. You can also find us on Alexa, Google Home, and of course, here in Acadiana, on the simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. We have a good show lined up for you today. Going to close out the week strong, if you will. James Yasko will join us an hour from right now. Our friend from the Lima Time Time podcast talking about those Houston Astros who continue just to pile up wins left and right. Then we'll have a treat for you at 730 Duriel Harris, former wide receiver, star wide receiver for the Miami Dolphins and more. We'll stop by the studio. We're going to talk about his career and get his thoughts as a man who used to play the position about a weird offseason in the NFL when it, in regards to the wide receiving position and how much the game has changed in the last 20-plus years. Then, of course, we'll have Nick Fontenot on at 8.15 for cashing tickets, getting you ready for the weekend. Put a little scratch in your back pocket. And then TJ Jones, our buddy from the State of the Saints podcast, will join us at 8.30 today to break down the Saints 2022 schedule, which was finally released yesterday. Of course, we'll take your phone calls. Game hotline is always open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. But we're going to start off today's show talking about those Houston Astros. Woo! Wednesday's game had to be pushed to yesterday afternoon. Yesterday midday, to be more exact. Severe storms came through Minneapolis and halted the game there in the fourth inning. But the Astros had already led, had already built up a 5-1 lead. Well, the game being postponed and delayed until yesterday at noon didn't stop the Astros from clobbering the Twins. 
because they wrapped up that game with a final score of 11 to 2. 11 to 2, which is unbelievable. Jose Altuve hit a home run and drove in three runs in that first game. He has been absolutely on fire ever since coming back from the IL and coming back from his rehab assignment for the Sugarland Space Cowboys. Just been absolutely on fire. And then you worry because, hey, did they score too many runs? You had the layover. Now you got to play a game back-to-back. 30 minutes after the game is done, they get started for the next one. Well, that wasn't an issue either. 5-2 zip. Shutout victory for the Strohs to take the series sweep over the Twins. In that game, Jordan Alvarez homered twice, and rookie sensation Jeremy Pena added three hits in the second game. Just, they keep it going. The Strohs know how to find the younger players, don't they? They lose Carlos Correa, all-star, gold glove winner, and they got a rook that they just simply call up. Hits the ground running. Remember when Jordan Alvarez did the same thing when they called him up a few years ago? He won Rookie of the Year that year. They know how to find talent. They know how to develop said talent. And the Strohs have now won 10 in a row. 10. 10 in a row. It's impressive. It's absolutely impressive. And as great as the lineup has been, and it, it look, it has been phenomenal. The production that they're getting from their lineup, you don't count Maldonado, right? Because he's not in the lineup for his bat. But what you're getting from Altuve and Brantley and Bregman and Alvarez and Jeremy Pena and Kyle Tucker just goes on and on. I mean, we haven't even really spoke about Yuli Gurriel struggling this season. He's the defending batting champion for the American League. And he's having a rough start of rough start to the season. But even when they have a guy in that lineup that's struggling, the rest of the guys pick him up. They're just that deep. They're just that talented, especially with their bats. I mean, Tucker hit a home run himself in the game that was finished yesterday. They have so many bats in that lineup. But we got to talk about the pitching again. Because they're doing a very nice job. We focus in on the, the, the bats, and rightfully so. They have been magnificent. The lineup has been great. But Luis Garcia was really, really good again yesterday. He improves to 3-1 and one on the season as a starter. He pitched five innings, only gave up five hits, no runs. Struck out nine. You know, we talked about it earlier in the week where it feels like the Astros have six guys they can throw out there as a starter. Six. And not one of them is Lance McCullers Jr., who they expect to get back this season. 
Now, Dusty decided to go with the bullpen because you're playing the back-to-back games like that. So they pulled Garcia after only five innings. But the rest of the guys kept the shutout going. Gave up a combined two hits over the last four innings. No runs, two hits, four innings. That's what the Stroh's bullpen came in and did. Martinez, Taylor, and Montanera. This is phenomenal. We're not talking about it enough because we're focused on the win streak and we're focused on what the bats are doing. But what the Stroh's pitching has been doing during this 10-game winning streak, during the month of May, and we're 13 days in now, can't be talked about enough. Because they're getting multiple guys. This isn't a situation where it's one or two guys on the staff that are carrying the team on the bump. Verlander's been great. Verlander looks like his old Cy Young award-winning self. It's the other guys, too. And they're getting great relief efforts out of their bullpen. They're getting great performances, very good performances, from guys like Urquidy, Valdez, Garcia, Orderizi. When you have that quality of depth, that's going to give you all the advantages in the world when it comes particularly to postseason baseball. Because then, no matter what the situation is, you have a guy that you can throw. You take one of these, you take your number five or your number six starter, Boom, he can go into the bullpen and eat up innings for four innings in case one of your starters gets run early. Oh, you have an extra inning game? Not to worry. I got another guy that I know that can come in and eat up four to five innings. Building up this depth and having these guys pitch well, yes, it's early. I understand it's May. And you don't want to jump the gun too much. And some of these guys will fall back to earth that are part of the Astros rotation. They will. They're going to fall back to earth, and you're going to be like, eh, they're not pitching great. But you can't have enough quality frontline starting pitching in baseball. You just can't have enough of it. Not only do the Strohs have that, they also have a good bullpen. Three-game set at the Nationals. You can listen to those games this weekend on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM. Tonight's game, 6.05 from the nation's capital. Strohs at the Nationals. It's the World Series from a few years ago. Back again. Rematch, if you will. Once again, Strohs, Nationals. You can listen to it on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM. The talk of Acadiana. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, Cajuns, Cowgirls advance at their conference tournaments. Cowgirls in dramatic fashion. McNeese baseball team, by the way, began its final series of the regular season and did so in... uh, They treated Houston Baptist like them Huskies. Talked bad about their mama. We'll talk about that next right here 
on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yeah. Sounds like we were meant to be together, or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, the game will be broadcasting live from Lake Charles tomorrow, this Saturday, for the This Is Home Festival. Under the Dome host, Clint Domain, the world-famous one, if you will, will be broadcasting his show live from 9 to 11 from Ryan Street in downtown Lake Charles for This Is Home Festival. There's going to be live music all day, food vendors, beer, wine, and so much more. So tune in for Under the Dome live from Lake Charles tomorrow, this Saturday. Or you know what? Swing by and say hi to the world-famous CD. He's going to have T-shirts. He's going to have koozies giving away. What? That's right. Plus, he's going to have tickets to give away for Downtown Rising. That's right. So go check out CD at the This Is Home Festival in Lake Charles tomorrow there on Ryan Street in downtown Lake Chuck. Speaking of Lake Charles, let's talk about those McNeese Cowgirls and Cowboys, shall we? The softball team, which had its hands full in its first game of the Southland Conference Tournament, they're the number one seed in the Southland Conference Tournament. They looked done yesterday against Southeastern, the two-seed. Southeastern plated six runs in the first inning in this ballgame. Six. And you're like, uh-oh. Like, I checked in. I was like, oh, no. That's not good. I mean, in softball, six is enormous. That's an enormous number to try to overcome. And that's exactly what McNeese did. The Lions put up six in the top of the first. And McNeese slowly but surely clawed its way back into this game. First thing they did, pitching staff shut down the Lions' bats the rest of the way. Shut them out after the first inning. And then the lineup started to chip away. A run in the bottom of the first. A run in the bottom of the third. Two in the fourth. Two more in the bottom of the seventh to force extra innings. And then they went in in the bottom of the eighth. Like, you give up six. And to have the mental fortitude, if you will, to not let that steamroll you, to not allow giving up six just completely take you out of your game, and to come back and win that, just wow. Once again, this is a team that's got vets on it. It has impact players. Kendall Talley, the former Raging Cajun. A couple of doubles and a triple. Josie Willingham, 
got a home run. Tally also had scored a couple of uh, three runs as well. And it's the second straight day at the tourney that McNeese picked up an extra inning win. And the second straight day at the tourney that Chris Lyon Marino picked up the game-winning hit. Think about that. Back-to-back days, they need extra innings to win the games. And back-to-back days, they have to rally to do so. And back-to-back days, the same player gets the game-winning hit. What? What? Unbelievable. Now, the Southland Conference Tournament is double elimination. So, even if they had lost yesterday, they still had an opportunity to win, right? They would still had that. That said getting the win like that, and doing so against Southeastern. If you're the Lions, and the tournament is in your house, by the way. The Southland Conference Tournament is being held in Hammond. That's brutal. That's absolutely brutal. To be up on a team like that, six to nothing, and to lose, oof. That's tough. That's tough, tough to come back from. And now the Cowgirls have advanced to the championship game. And they'll play Southeastern again. And the Lions are going to have to beat the Cowgirls twice now. So that gives, even though McNeese has not played their best, needing extra innings to win both games. Here they are in the championship game, one win away from punching their ticket to an NCAA regional. They'll take on Southeastern again today at noon. They win today, done. They win the conference championship, and they punch their ticket to the NCAA. If they lose, they'll have to play a second game because it is double elimination. But the softball team wasn't the only one that went nuts. The baseball team, despite dropping two of three to Northwestern State last weekend, still found itself tied in first place in the Southland Conference standings entering the last week of the regular season. But the Cowboys were going to have to do so by going on the road to Houston to take on a Huskies team that beat them in the opening series of the season in Southland Conference play. And not to mention the Huskies were one of four teams tied for second place, only one game behind McNeese. So they still have a legitimate chance at winning the regular season championship as well, earning the one seed for the conference tournament. And for baseball, the way they're doing it, if you're one of the top seeds, you get to host the first few games of the conference tournament at your place. So, Justin's Hill team goes into Houston. Knowing that this is a team that already got the best of them earlier this year. Took two or three in Lake Charles at the Joe. 
And what did they promptly do yesterday? They mercy ruled HBU by the score of 23-5. to I know that sounds like a football score. 23 to 5. 23 to 5. Now, you hope they left a few runs out there to be able to win the series. And likely just taking two or three from HBU will give them the number one seed for the conference tournament. And for the first few innings, you're like, well, okay. It was 1-1 after one. And then McNeese led 2-1 after two, and you're like, okay, they're going to have their hands full. And then they just explode for seven runs in the third, four in the fourth, and then 10 in the fifth. HBU tried to put some runs together in the sixth and the seventh to make it close, but 23 runs on 22 hits. What? What? Peyton Harden, Julian Gonzalez both had home runs in this game. Harden also had two doubles. Brad Burkle, Leslie Josh had each a double as well. Unbelievable performance by the McNeese Cowboys. They'll be looking to get the series win today. Once again, this is the last regular season series. These are the last regular season games before the conference tournament. They'll take on HBU in Houston at 1 o'clock this afternoon. But it wasn't all Lake Chuck. Raging Cajuns softball team, number one seed as well in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. And they stepped up and said, you know what? Troy, we're not really concerned. They beat the Troy Trojans for the fourth time this season. That's the number four seed in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. Sam Landry was magnificent in the circle as Jerry Glasgow's team defeats Troy 9-1 to there at the Sunbelt Conference Tournament in Mobile yesterday. They advanced to today's semifinals of the conference tournament. Their biggest threat by far, if you're the Cajuns, is going to be South Alabama in this conference tournament. Troy was a team that even Jerry Glasgow said it was going to be difficult to beat a team for a fourth time, but it sure didn't seem to be all that difficult for the Raging Cajuns. Now, they will be tested today in the semifinals because Texas State is pretty good. They're the three seed. They're pretty good. The Bobcats and the Cajuns are going to Tussle at 10 o'clock this morning, yet another early morning conference tournament game for the Raging Cajuns. And look, the three meetings during the regular season were exciting. one nothing win at Texas State in the game one of that. They, they mercy ruled them the second game, but the third game of that series, Texas State beat them 5-4. to four. So two of the three games were decided by one run. So the Bobcats are good. 
Bobcats are good. So Bobcats Cajuns this morning, Sunbelt Conference Tournament semifinals going on. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll put the diamond talk on hold because it'll be time for us to unveil our poll question of the day and talk about the New Orleans Saints season schedule was released yesterday. Woo. Starting off with three divisional games to start the season? We'll talk about the Saints schedule next right here on RP3 and Company. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Yellow. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Lafayette Marble and Granite is the South's largest cultured marble factory, and they pride themselves on earning your business. Look, LMG is more than just show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens and your bathrooms, though. That outdoor living space, you know, the spot that you like to entertain during game days in the fall when you're cheering on LSU, Cajuns, Cowboys, or the Saints. Yeah, they can take that and make it the envy of your entire neighborhood for game days during the fall. Visit their website, lmgelite.com today. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all their sensational services and the great products that they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com or stop by their showroom located on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford. Lafayette Marble and Granite, they're looking to earn your business and trust me, earn it, they will. Saints schedule has been released. And I'm not really for sure what to make of it. I don't make predictions. I'm not a big prediction guy when the schedule's released because you never do know how injuries are going to happen. Not to mention in the NFL, nearly what? Half of the playoff teams from the year before don't make the playoffs the next year. That's been the tried and true thing year after year. So when you, you're doing scheduling, you're looking at the schedule and you're going, hey, this is how it's going to be. And, you know, I predict this to be a win or this to be a win. I, I, I don't I don't do that. I don't take part in that exercise. I think it's somewhat foolish. But the schedule is interesting because they didn't do the Saints a whole lot of favors. First of all, they're having to play three division opponents to start the season. So right off the bat, no time to mess around, no time to try to figure things out because you got divisional games back to back to back. 
They're going to have to open up on the road at Atlanta. Okay? They come back home to the Superdome for a rare game early in the season at home. That's another little theme here. Against Tampa Bay. You know it's going to be absolutely bananas because it's going to be the Bucks. So the atmosphere will be great inside the Superdome. But after opening up on the road at Atlanta and then coming home against Tampa, they have to go right back onto the road again and take on the Carolina Panthers. Oh, and then there's the London game. Woof. That's not optimal. I'm not talking about the strength of the team or whether or not they can win those games. They could win all four of those games. They could easily be 4-0 after the first month of the NFL season. Absolutely. But the NFL is making the Saints play three of their first four games not at home. Like, really? Really? That's what you're doing? After the London fiasco, which is what I'm going to refer to it as, because that's what it is, they do get a bit of a breather here in weeks five and six. By the way, they don't get a bye week after the London trip. Yay. Right back to it. Come on back. Fly back over from across the pond and get ready for another game. I'm surprised they didn't make the Saints play Thursday night football after London. That would have been something they typically would do. Home against Seattle, which is in rebuilding mode. And then Bengals, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Tyler Shelvin and company come back to Louisiana. Come back to the place where they won a national championship. In the building where they won a national championship. I thought for sure that game would have been a 3.30 game or a primetime game. No. Bengals-Saints is a noon kickoff game. That's a curious decision by the NFL. So you make the Saints start the year three of four on the road away from the Superdome, including a London game. The first three games are against divisional opponents. They don't get extra time off from the London game on the back end. And the Bengals game, which is going to be absolutely electric, is at noon. None of this really makes any sense yet. Then on the road at Arizona for a Thursday night football game, because when I think of... Thursday night football that I get excited about. I'm thinking Saints at Cardinals. What? (laughs) What? Okay. That's a primetime game. Oh, by the way, can't wait to get up at 8.30 in the morning for that London game. 8.30 kick on a Sunday. Yay! Yay! Then they host the Raiders. And then they host the Baltimore Ravens for Monday Night Football. So I'm like, okay, Ravens are a good team, right? 
They got a former league MVP. That's not too bad. And it's Monday Night Football. Then it's at Pittsburgh in November. They host the Rams, which is a very good game. Could be a very good game. Not to mention the bad blood between the two. But that's a noon kick. Then at San Francisco, then at Tampa, they finally get their bye in week 14. You're like, okay. Then they host the Falcons, which is to be determined. I'll say it again. Yes, I know what you're saying. <laughs> RP3, you, tell, you said the schedule was officially released by the NFL yesterday. It was. And on the schedule, it says week 15, TBD. So is that going to be a day game, a night game, a Thursday game, a Friday game, a Monday game? We don't know. We don't. It could be a Tuesday afternoon game, all we know. <sighs> they make things far too difficult. Then we get Christmas Eve in Cleveland. Saturday, Christmas Eve game at Cleveland. And then to just say, hey, Saints, don't have enough cold weather games and frigid temperatures? Guess what? Merry Christmas. And Happy New Year, because New Year's Day, you're playing in Philadelphia yet again. Yet again. Saints playing the Eagles in Philadelphia. And then they'll play the Carolina Panthers at home to wrap up the regular season. They love playing the Panthers. So I I, I don't know about this schedule. I think it's a little, a little pub on. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. A lot of the games are not great. A lot of them don't move the needle, if you will. I mean, you're always going to get up for your divisional games. But at Cleveland, at Philly, late in the year, on the holidays? Ugh. The bye occurring late may be a good thing, though, right? Week 14, that gives the team an additional week to rest and kind of charge up for a playoff push. That could be good. That could be beneficial. That's a good thing. But, I mean, Steelers are rebuilding. Baltimore Monday night game could be interesting. Thursday night game against the Cardinals, but... Starting off with three straight divisional opponents and then having to go to London to take on Minnesota. Once again, the Saints may be talented enough to win all four of those games. They could start off 4-0. But this schedule kind of stinks. I'm not going to lie to you. At least that's my initial reaction. We want to hear from you. Producer extraordinaire. You've been stretching over there, gearing up, 
gearing up to close out Friday strong. Won't you tell the people, give the people what they want. They want to know about the poll question of the day. Give it to them. Why are you yelling at me? I'm just excited. (laughs) Not as stressed. (laughs) (laughs) Poll question of the day. It's Friday. Five (laughs) names. We've made it. It's Friday. (laughs) Somehow, somewhere. Running on fumes, but (laughs) we're making it. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm ready. Yeah, pumped. Um, what do you make of the Saints schedule? Do you love it, like it, or hate it? I so wanted to make one of the options some more of it. I I definitely wasn't gonna say it out loud, but I didn't. I should have, because that would have been funnier if I said it out loud with you. <laughs> I so wanted to, but I uh but I did. Yes. yes. What do you make of the Saints schedule? What are the people telling us right now with their votes? So right now leading the vote, we have sixty seven percent saying like it. 29% saying hate it, and only 5% said they love it. I'm assuming that's because of all of the lovely road games we have. We love that. I love being on the road and not being able to really watch the oh, games. Oh, cool. have we seen the comments? Here we go. Let's get to the comments here. Oh, Ton on Twitter, our buddy, gets it. <laughs> this schedule proves the NFL's bias against the Saints. A buy that late, starting against three conference foes, no break after London, giving up a home game to play in London. Nah, NFL hates the Saints even without Sean. It sure does feel that way, doesn't it? I'm not conspiracy theory guy. I'm just not. It's not my bag. But man, it's and they have to play in Philly again. Like they just yes, it, they just they look, play in Philadelphia uh, again. They don't have a break or a bye week until May, as Foot says. Not December. It's May. It's so far away. I rhymed. <laughs> I see what you did there. Brad on Twitter says, don't like the buy, but overall I like it, especially week six. If the Saints sign Juicy Kid to look like an LSU alumni game, who dat? Hart on Twitter says, tough schedule overall, but my extremely premature prediction is either 10 of 7 or 12 and 5. On another note, the week 14 buy makes absolutely no sense, kind of like microwavable rice. Wow. Wow. Hart coming in with some shade at the end towards five names on a Friday. Bud, what are we doing? (laughs) Uh, John Paul Cajun Daddy. That is a name on Twitter. Shout out to him for that. Whatever you think about a schedule at the beginning of a season means nothing. By the end of the season, you really know about a schedule. That being said, it would be great if we could play the NFC East this year. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're not wrong, and, and that's what I said, right? Our our, I my thoughts on the schedule aren't about wins and losses because you don't really know, right? You can sit there and you can make your predictions and you can go through there and be like, that's a win, that's a loss, that's always foolish. First of all, it's just a foolish exercise. You just look at the team. I look at the team. When I see the Saints team, I see a 10-11 win team. Now. That's if they play to their potential. They could even be more than that. Maybe 12 wins. That has nothing to do with the schedule. It has everything to do with the team and whether or not they play to their potential. You never do know if a team will play to its potential, though. That's the whole thing when you're looking at the schedule. You just don't know. You just don't know. Not to mention you don't know if injuries are going to occur, right? That's always a thing. Or a suspension's going to occur, 
And I, I say it all the time. We said it earlier. Half of the teams that make the playoffs one year don't make the playoffs the next. There's constant turn turnover for the playoffs in the NFL. So that's why it makes it difficult to predict games and go through the schedule. I just look at the schedule. I just don't care for it. Just, just from a scheduling point of view. Three straight division opponents to start off the season. Got to go to London, which I hate. I've ranted about that on the airwaves. Then not a break after London. You got to come right back and play again. The Bengals game is at noon, which doesn't make any sense. Then you get the bye in week 14. That could be a good thing to get you some rest. But once again, it's so late in the season. You're like, eh. What's the point of it? <laughs> which it seems really late in the season. And then you got to go at Cleveland. And then you got to play freaking Philadelphia again on the road. Eh. Eh. I don't know, man. I'm not, I'm not feeling the schedule. But you guys keep voting. Leaving your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Our poll question of the day. What do you make of the Saints schedule? Love it, like it, hate it. Go vote and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. We got to take a timeout. 6.53. We only have a few minutes remaining left in hour number one of this Friday edition of RP3 and Company. We'll finish it strong. That's next. Here on the game. 1037 Lafayette. 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. NBA playoffs. Woo. After tying the series up two games apiece, Philadelphia 76ers have been promptly eliminated as Miami stepped up in back-to-back games. Last night, the Heat win 99-90 to to eliminate the 76ers, win the series four games to two, and Miami punches its ticket to the Eastern Conference Finals. You'll wait the winner of the Milwaukee-Boston series. And the Heat, once again, their balance made all the difference in the world. Jimmy Butler led the way with 32. But then they the three other starters combined to chip in 42 points. Sorry, the other four starters combined to chip in 50 points. There you go. And the 76ers with Embiid still... Working through his injury, he shot 7-24. to That is awful. He only scored 20 points. Maxie was 9-22. to He scored 20 points, but, man, you're taking that many shots. It's not good. And James Harden played 43 minutes, only took nine shots, and scored 11 points. Woof. 76ers are going to have to do some soul searching in the offseason. I'm sorry. I know they got Harden in there and everything like that, but ugh. over in the West, the Mavericks. Yes, Dallas wins 113 to 86. They crushed the faces of the Phoenix Suns, who look immensely tired. Luka goes off yet again, and that series is tied 3-3. We're gonna get a game seven between Suns and Mavs. Wow. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two, kicking it off with James Yasko talking all things Astros. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. 
Everything gonna be alright this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The Houston Astros won both of their games yesterday. That's now 10 in a row. They're crushing the faces of everyone they meet. 10 straight wins. The lineup has been absolutely filthy. You're getting production from all over the place. Even with Yuli Gurriel struggling, your reigning batting champion for the American League, not having a great start to the season, hasn't really mattered because you got Altuve on a tear since being coming off the IL. Bregman, Jordan Alvarez, Kyle Tucker. Oh, don't forget about the rookie shortstop, the phenom, Jeremy Pena. Just out there, just great glove work too, by the way. But the pitching, the pitching has been sensational for the Astros. They'll get on the road yet again for a three-game set against the Washington Nationals starting tonight. You can listen to all three of those games from the nation's capital on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM. First pitch tonight, 6.05. To talk more about them, Stros, is our good friend, the co-host of the Lima Time Time podcast and contributor for the Houston Chronicle, Mr. James Yasko. James, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm all right. How you doing? I'm doing outstanding. So, tell me in your humble opinion, what's the biggest thing that stands out to you about this 10-game win streak? Uh, I think a 140-win season is in play. Uh, I think uh, there's no reason there's no reason to to think otherwise uh, based on the based on the last 10 games. No, it's it's everything. You know, at one point the Astros were 11 and 11. And, and it just felt like at some point they were going to go on a streak like this. And now that it's here, um, you know, you, you just sort of you, you enjoy it. And, <clears throat> you know, you recognize that that, yeah, you, you know, you're, you're, you're beating up the, the Tigers and the and the twins. Um, but a, a win, a win is a win. And, and it doesn't matter who it is that that, that win is in the bank. And and everyone's going to have to play these teams. And the good teams beat the they, they win the games they should win, and so and so that's that's sort of what uh, th- that's kind of my takeaway from from the last 10, 10 games. A big takeaway also is how well Jose Altuve's played since coming off the IL. He struggled to start the season. He was in a slump. He was banged up. They put him on IL. He did a couple of rehab assignments for the Space Cowboys, and since he's been back, he's been old Altuve. Yeah, you wonder if if the the IL stint uh, was a little bit of a mental reset as as much as it was kind of a physical reset. You know, was he was he banged up from from the abbreviated spring training and and it just sort of carried through the first handful of games of the season. Uh, you get ten days to sort of reset, clear your mind, and and prepare for you know for what's ahead because he he looks like a completely different hitter at this point. 
Jordan Alvarez had to spend some time away from the team as well for sickness. He's come back. He's been on an absolute home run tear in particular. Uh, my question to you is, it, why are pitchers throwing him these pitches? <laughs> because <laughs> it, you, you just watch, and as soon as it leaves their hand, you're like, oh, no, why'd you do that for? And he's just teeing off on these on these pitches. It's, you know, it's, it's you're, you're past the point of, of sort of the the rookie sensation uh you know where where you sort and, and you we're sort of in this in this stage with Pena that it's going to take a little while for the league to figure out you know where where to pitch him where not to pitch him um Alvarez is past that way 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 past that and and this is just the hitter that he is uh 50 home runs for Jordan Alvarez this season is is not and I, I'm mildly joking about the 140 win season i'm not joking at all about about 50 home runs for jordan alvarez like that's that's absolutely in play uh and you know as long as you keep punishing mistakes then then you know good hitters are, are going to find a way to to get you pina obviously is benefiting because he's a rookie and and not all the teams have seen him right and they don't know how to pitch him but he sure does seem like the real deal the complete package because not only is he getting timely hits getting on base pass creating rbi opportunities his glove work is also really really good the stage i know we've talked about this before james but it feels like he's been playing at this level for a couple years and the the moment and the stage and playing in the show is not too big for the young guy yeah no i agree you know the the glove work that was the main that was his plus plus tool uh, when the Astros drafted him, uh, whatever year, I, I can't remember, 2017, 2018, whatever year they drafted him. Um, I know he's out of the University of Maine. I don't know I don't know why I know that Jeremy Pena went to the University of Maine, and, and why did I forget to get milk from the grocery store this morning? Like, how did, why, does my, why is my brain absolutely broken? Um, the, <laughs> and so the, the thing with Pena, he's always been a good fielder, and and once he got to double A, maybe triple A, that's when th- that's when the the sort of the hit tool came along. And and he was kind of a high upside guy. You knew what you were going to get. You're going to get a, a good fielding shortstop or a middle infielder. And and that's you know. And then whatever offense you can provide beyond that uh, is just sort of gravy. And and he's come along really really well. And it, yeah, and it, it's it's we saw Correa. You know, there there were games where you could tell Correa was trying to hit a nine run home run, uh, where Correa was was trying to win the game with every at bat, and and that's and that's probably the 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 difference in being a you know a second round draft pick or whatever and the number one overall pick. Um, the the Correa seemed to have the weight of the world on his shoulders, and Payne doesn't have that, and I and I think that's a that's sort of a testament to to how the Astros have approached Pena. Uh, not that they did anything wrong developmentally, obviously, with with Correa, but but yeah, Pena they, they seems to know his place. Um, you know, he, he doesn't have to be the guy, and and he can just sort of go out and, and get three hits, you know, in a, in a game as a rookie. Leads the team in batting average, tied for the lead in RBIs, and second on the team in home runs as a rookie in that yep. lineup, which is kind of ridiculous. Let's talk a little bit about Yuli because it's been a struggle. He won the batting title a year ago. I know he's the old man on the team. 
I don't want to jump to the conclusion that Father Tom is undefeated here when it comes to Yuli, but what's really kind of ailing him when he when he steps into the box this year? There's a there's a little bit of regression uh, to to the mean with Guriel. Um, he essentially won the batting title based on a ridiculously high uh, batting average on balls in play, and and at some point. You know, and, and there's I think it's going to be in the Chronicle this morning. Um, <clears throat> you, you can apply the same to pitchers and Jake Odorizzi, who's going to start tomorrow, uh, is sort of benefiting from from some luck where one of the things with Guriel is that is that he's been pretty unlucky. Uh, and, you know, he's he's a very streaky hitter. Uh, and so, you know, it, it, you look and it's going to be terrible, but there's going to be a week where he gets, he gets you 11 or 12 hits. Um, however, you know, I, I think the batting title was a, was kind of a fluke. Uh, and, and it's, we need to adjust our expectations, you know, downward based on, based on the flukiness of 2021. Is there going to get a point in, if he continues to struggle that they may have to make a change at first? It's possible um, you know, but I don't know, I don't know who would, I don't know who would kind of step into that first base role. Uh, and so, you know, Guriel maybe may benefit and, and get a little bit more time based on, you know, there's not, there, there's not sort of the, the next man up, you know, there's, I don't, as, as far as I know, and I, it's been a couple of days since I looked, but no one at, at Sugarland is just straight up killing it. that could step in and, and play first base. So, and not so, to mention, and, and James, not to mention, he, he he's really good with the glove at first. He really is. He's a he's a fantastic defensive first baseman. And and you saw there was a there were a couple of 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 uh, I don't know, it was a couple of weeks ago where Correa you know made this fantastic play and threw it over to first base. And he's been used to Yuli Gurriel being there to like pick it out of the dirt. And whoever the Twins' first baseman is, you know Johnny no name because uh, the twins are Carlos Correa and, and 24 guys. Um, you know, they, he, he just got he like muffed it. And, 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 and he, he is an absolute vacuum at first base. And I think, you know, if, if you were planning on Pena maybe struggling, but, but you leave him in because of his glove, then you give Guriel the, the, the same benefit. We're talking with James Yasko of the Lima time time podcast. He's also contributor to the Houston Chronicle. He joins us here on RP3 and Company talking all Stros. All right, let's talk about this pitching staff because they have six guys. I mean, they legitimately have six guys. Now, are all six of those guys going to be performing at this level all season long? Of course not. Some of them are going to fall off. Some of them may get a little banged up. But the way they have built this rotation – after losing guys year after year after year, either to injury or to free agency, I, I credit the front office because they have, you could argue, probably one of the best rotations in baseball. Yeah, and, and you know, the six-man rotation, uh, I don't know how often it's deployed across baseball, but, but I think it really benefits this particular group, and a, and a good team will, will adjust – sort of philosophy based on who their personnel is are uh and and so you know with with Verlander coming back from from Tommy John surgery to give him maybe an extra day you know every time through the rotation that's 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 pretty smart uh 
Framber, Luis Garcia, you know, they pitched a lot in the last, uh, they pitched a lot in 2021. And, and a lot was, ex- and this, this is a group that they're, most teams season ends at the at the end of September, maybe the, the very beginning of October. The Astros have been going for five years playing an extra month, you know, the, that it's it's been these deep playoff runs. And when you look at stats uh, from year to year, you know, you don't see the the postseason, you know, that that doesn't show up on your on, on the front page of, of baseball reference. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's extremely smart. And, and especially, you know, when you think of a Christian Javier, who is who's making the transition from the bullpen to the rotation to give him an extra day uh, is is really smart. So it absolutely is a credit to the to the front office. And I, and I, I like to slander James Click. So I, I don't I don't say that lightly. Not only is the starting rotation really good, the bullpen is really good. I mean, you saw what they did yesterday coming in for Garcia and you know they only gave up two hits and four innings and no runs Mm -hmm. yeah no everyone it this is one of those stretches of baseball where where everything is clicking and and no it's not going to last but but you you sort of you figure out who this is where where Dusty Baker and and you know kind of figures out who can who can you trust and everybody is stepping up and, and and is trying to be that guy that, that you can put the ball in their hand and they're going to go get outs. Nationals this weekend, what's the biggest challenge uh, that the Nats present to the Strohs? Well, obviously it's game eight of the 2019 World Series. <laughs> so whoever whoever wins tonight uh, gets gets that gets that ring and that parade. Uh, so that's that's the biggest challenge. Now, the, the, the Nationals are terrible. Uh, and, and, you know, the way the Astros have played, you know, you sort of expect – you know, a, a sweep or, or at least win the series. And, and of course that means that something weird is going to happen and the Astros are going to lose 17 to two, because that's how this franchise goes. Um, but no, it's, it's just a, you know, it's, it's another chance to, to take advantage of, of this part of the schedule where you're, ex- the, the expectation is to, to put some distance between you and, and the, you know, the bottom of the division. James. When's the latest episode of the Lima Time Time podcast dropping? And when's the uh, next article we can go read at the Houston Chronicle that is yours? That has your byline on it, my friend. It's still bizarre to me. Uh, it's so crazy. Um, <laughs> if you look over my shoulder, you can see my dog. Uh, the um, Okay, so the podcast, we were supposed to record. Something came up this weekend or this this in, in the middle of the week. So maybe this weekend for the podcast. There should be an article today on what to make of Jake Odorizzi's sudden 2000 Pedro Martinez turn, uh, and and how much can you trust that? And the 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 the, the spoiler alert is is it, it, kind of like the way the last ten games have gone. Enjoy it, but don't expect it to last. Bud, appreciate your time. Enjoy your weekend, and uh, rest up, Bud. Rest up. Huge. Huge game for Leeds United on Sunday against Brighton. I know, I know the listeners, uh, the good listeners of Southwestern Louisiana are, are going to get up at eight o'clock on a Sunday morning and watch that. So I'm with you in spirit. <laughs> Thank you, James. <laughs> it's our buddy James Yesker from the Limited Time Time podcast, also a contributor to the Houston Chronicle. Hey, the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with tickets to see a special sneak peek of Top Gun Maverick. That's right, the highly anticipated sequel. You can see it before anyone else by simply texting Top Gun to 68683. That's Top Gun 
to 68683 to score a pair of tickets for a special sneak peek May 26th at the Celebrity Theater in Broussard. It's the Top Gun sneak peek preview brought to you by Big Boy Toys and Hobbies and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Now back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, wants to hook you up with ride tickets to the Cajun Heartland State Fair at the Cajun Dome, May 26th to June the 5th. Trust me, ride tickets are not cheap. And you love to take your little ones to the fair, and they love to have a great time, and they love to ride all the rides. It can get a little pricey. That's why we want to hook you up with free ride tickets for the Cajun Heartland State Fair. This is what you got to do. Pay attention. Text CHSF. CHSF stands for Cajun Heartland State Fair. See what we did there? Text CHSF to 68683 to win a family four-pack of ride tickets to the Cajun Heartland State Fair. Once again, that's CHSF to 68683 to score a family four-pack of ride tickets to the Cajun Heartland State Fair, which returns to the Cajun Dome May 26th to June the 5th. Let's check in on all poll question of the day, shall we? We asked you about the Saints schedule. What do you make of it? Do you like it? Do you love it? Do you hate it? That's what we want to know. I'm not a fan of it. I still think the Saints are immensely talented. I'm not going to give you game-by-game prediction of what they're going to do because I think that's foolish. I just don't like how it's structured. Three uh, three division games to start off the year? A trip to London? No break after the London game? Then you have to play at Cleveland and at Philly on Christmas Eve and then New Year's Day? Really? The bye weeks in week 14? Uh, I don't know. I do not care for this schedule the way they structured it. But we want to know from you. We want to hear from you. What do you make of the Saints schedule? 60% of you say you like it. 36% say you hate it. 4% say you love it. JPK, the OD, has chimed in. Hate it. I guess someone has to have a bad schedule to balance the scales for the power puff schedule 
the clown king Goodell gave the short school bus riding Dallas cowpokes. Hashtag London is not a home game. And he shared a gift of Vince McMahon with Roger Goodell's face on it. JPK, the OD, who's usually very uh, filled, uh, usually filled with joy. Not filled with joy this morning. <laughs> JPK, the OD, not having a good morning with this Saints schedule. My man needs a hug. Steve on Twitter says, I tried so hard, but I can't rise above it. Don't know what to do about Roger Goodell's loving, but I like it. I love it. I want some more of it. Hashtag stop crying. <laughs> oh, it's just not a, it's just not a good schedule. Once again, I'm speaking of it from just looking at the structure of the schedule. The Saints, I believe, are a contender. I really believe that. So it doesn't really matter, right? Having to start off the season with three straight divisional games, they win all three. Guess what? They're in the driver's seat for the division to win the division. And so it sets up that way. Does anyone believe Minnesota, which has been kind of a thorn in the side of the Saints traditionally? Do you have faith in Kirk Cousins? beating the Saints I mean he's done it before but I I don't know I don't know but I just don't know why the NFL is obsessed with having the Saints play at the Eagles I, I, why is that a thing is it is it are, are we being too hard on the NFL and Goodell is it simply that Somebody in the room that makes the schedules is just copying and pasting that game from year to year and forgets to change it. Is that what's happening? That they're always copying, just copying. Oh, yeah, they played at Philly. Just copy it over. Oh, we'll update it later. And then they don't realize it until like this morning. They're like, oh, no. We did it again. Saints at Eagles. Maybe. I'd like to give, I'd like to give people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe like to infuriate foot. <laughs> they love to have to turn my headphones down, so he's not screaming as loud in my ear when he realizes that we're playing at Philly again. <laughs> the footsie, not a fan. Does not like playing at the Eagles. <laughs> not a fan. Again. Again. We are on the road again against the Eagles. He's so gets so fired up, man. He gets so fired up. I, you gotta love the passion, man. You gotta love the passion. It just—it makes me laugh. But I'm with you. I—I—I I, I like it who we play, but the structure of home and away bothers me. Once again, not uh, taking away home games is just silly. Uh, the whole playing in London is dumb. It's just dumb. Like I want to see the actual revenue that comes from this. It's the National Football League, not International Football League. Just like to point si. that out. Just, si, just, 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 it's in the name, by the way. Uh, over on Facebook, Blaine Smith says, love getting tune-up games to start the season. Oh, that's shade against the Falcons. Brian Fox says, who cares? The Bruins dominated last night and forced a game seven. God bless you, Brian. If you're, that's, that's our hockey talk right there. Thank you, Brian, for making that happen. That's NHL playoff conversation brought courtesy of brian fox on facebook thank you for that thank you you guys will love you forever now 
Brian Gidry on Facebook says Atlanta first game. Woohoo. Love it. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. If you want to use that time to talk about the NHL playoffs, go right ahead. We got number love for you. That's what we're here for. We got to take a timeout. When we return, though, we got a treat for you. Former All Pro return man, wide receiver in the National Football League. Duriel Harris will join us live in the studio talking about his career and the evolution of the position of wide receiver. Back in the day, catching 30 balls a year, you were considered one of the best. Now you got to catch 100. It's funny how things change. That'll be coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party. The pants with the pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I always thoroughly enjoy when we get to have a guest inside the studio, Uh, especially when the guest is a former player, a man who played in the National Football League for a decade, an all-pro return man, 10-year wide receiver, got to play in a Super Bowl, and even though he's older than I am, I'm not going to say how much older that he is than I, when you look at him, you go, he's in better shape than I am. I'm not living my life the right way, but I'm happy that he's here. He played for the Miami Dolphins, for Don Shula, played in the Super Bowl, earned all pro honors as a return man, longtime wide receiver. It's our privilege to welcome to RP3 and company, live here in the game studio, the one and only Mr. Daryl Harris. How you doing, bud? I'm doing great, doing great. Good to be here with you. Uh, I guess I've been on the RP3 show. I can say that I finally arrived. <laughs> No one ever said that. Thank you for saying it, but no one's ever said that. Uh, let's. Uh, I want to get your uh, thoughts on a slew of different topics, especially the evolution of the wide receiving, uh, wide receiver position in the National Football League, how it's changed, a very weird offseason um, concerning top flight wide receivers. But let's, let's talk about your background. You're from an area that I'm familiar with, Port Arthur, Texas. I worked and lived in Beaumont, which is neighboring city. So much talent has come out of Southeast Texas, has come out of Port Arthur, especially college and pro football stars. Why is that? Why is that a place that has produced so much talent? Well, in my neighborhood, we had a lot of vacant lots, and we turned them into football fields. And uh, I can remember as a kid, uh, new kids moved to the neighborhood and put up a basketball goal on our football field. (laughs) <laughs> they say it didn't stay up long. We tore it down. We played football year-round. And uh, I was very fortunate. Uh, my father was a high school football coach. My neighbor down the street from me, five houses, Joe Washington, his dad was a football coach. So 
And in my neighborhood, we had a lot of, uh, say, uh, high school equipment at our homes lying around. <laughs> we sit up the neighborhood and play a game. Uh, extra additional practice, additional training, uh, so to speak. You're growing up. Obviously, football is your passion. And for you, it's interesting. You at at that time growing up in Texas, a lot of the big schools ran the wishbone, which is not great if you're playing wide receiver, which you played. Is that what led you to end up eventually signing and playing for New Mexico State? Yes, it was because a lot of the schools in Texas was was following the University of Texas. Back then, Darrell Raw and the Wishbone was everybody trying to emulate. That was king, yeah. Everybody trying to emulate Texas. So I had to travel out of state to go somewhere where they threw the football and landed up on New Mexico State. When I found out that uh, they were throwing the ball about 35 times a game, and at the time I didn't know the quarterback, but Joe Prasarczyk, who later went to the Giants, was my quarterback my freshman year. So when I had an opportunity to sign with those guys and, and get some balls thrown to them, I said, this is where I'm going. Didn't know anything about Las Cruces. Never seen mountains in my life before, so I'm in <laughs> awe. It's, it's 80 degrees on campus, but yet the mountains were had snow on the top of them. <laughs> you go, though, at a time that's a smaller school, and especially there in the 70s, makes it a little bit more difficult to get noticed by NFL scouts, by teams. But you did. I mean, you were, what, a third-round draft pick of the Dolphins. So walk us through that process when you're gearing up, you're wrapping up your career there at New Mexico State, and you get an opportunity. Did you did you believe that you were going to be drafted as high as you were? Yes, I did. In fact, I thought it might even go sooner, but I knew that teams were interested in me. Uh, back then, you didn't have the scouting combine, but for timing date, at the time, you had 30 two teams, I believe, 28 of them were there at New Mexico State represented by other guys to watch me run the four-yard dash. So by them, that many teams showing interest in me, I knew that that uh, drawn some interest. And, of course, you get letters during your junior year from the NFL teams. You fill out all these questionnaires. Saying okay. They're going to be watching you and uh, watch uh, your year to have a great year. I never get it. One scout told me after my junior year, I caught like 29 passes, uh, X amount of yards, and uh, we had another coach come in and switch offense. My senior year at New Mexico State, they went to the wishbone. <laughs> the, the very, you, could, you couldn't escape it. <laughs> the very thing I ran away from Texas from, I ended up running into it at New Mexico State. I never get the scout told me. He said, Duriel, uh, you guys went to wishbone. You're not going to get them any choices. Uh, make the best of them. Good luck to you. And I'm like, well, what have I got myself into? Good luck to you. <laughs> right. Oh, that's that's that, that's not encouraging yeah. at all. But the thing was, we did not have a very successful wishbone. So every game, we end up breaking the wishbone and going to the pro offense. To give you an idea, the rush averaged less than 100 yards a game that my senior year. But the passing offense, we averaged like 125. And I was catching 100 of those. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was crazy. I ended up catching more balls out of the wishbone that I did the year before. The year before, I caught 29 passes. My senior year out of the wishbone, I caught 34 passes. That's unheard of with a school running the wishbone. Was it at New Mexico State where you developed your skill set as a return man as well? Is that something that you were able to hone in there, or did that come later when after you got drafted? Actually, uh, I did some returns in high school and was okay. very successful at it, but got to New Mexico State. The opportunity was there, and I uh, got a chance to do it there and did a good job. I uh, led the uh, 
the conference in return average uh, ran a kickoff back 105 yards, but uh, the rules only allow you to get credit for 100, 100 yards. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, but uh, I got the experience there doing it and just carried over to the National Football League, which my rookie year I led the NFL with the highest average, over 32 yards uh, return. So I got a lot of practice in New Mexico State. Uh, because teams were scoring a lot against us, so you get to return all the balls. <laughs> so you got a lot of ten. We're, we're talking with Duriel Harris, uh, former ten-year uh, vet in the National Football League, All-Pro return specialist and wide receiver. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. So you get drafted and you go to the Dolphins, and what a great place for you to go to! Great tradition, Super Bowls, Don Shula, great coach. But he was a tough coach, and he was a hard coach. Um, butted heads a little bit with Coach, did you? Yes, I did. Uh, he was a great coach, a, a real strict disciplinarian. Uh, I never forget when he called me his office the first time to talk to him. He walked me to the team. He said, I know you come out of college. You've been a little cocky and this and that. He said, but uh, just try to uh, tone it down a little bit, You know, hand the ball to the ref after the score. I love Paul Warfield did all the time. Yeah. So. Uh, but he recognized uh, my ability, and uh, he drafted me there, thought I could help the team. And sure enough, my my rookie year, uh, one of the receivers got hurt, and I ended up starting the last six games for the Dolphins my rookie season at wide receiver. And we had some talent there. Uh, Nat Moore and Freddie Solomon were the starting wide receivers. We had Howard Twilley, Morris Owens, and here I am like the new rookie being drafted by them. I looked at those guys and said, wow, why are they drafting me? It's a lot of talent here, but uh, – when things kind of shook his way out, the old saying, cream rise to the top. And I had a mindset, uh, RP, is that, hey, these guys are no better than me. They just got here before me. And that's the kind of mentality you have to have going into a, a training camp when you're trying to make the team and, and make a name for yourself. You also made a name for yourself early on as return specialists. And especially in those days, coaches, guys like Shula and Landry and others, they love to have guys on the roster that could do multiple things uh it's not that much that way anymore but back then it definitely was was that something that you also knew hey I can make an impact with this team early on before someone got injured as a special teams player yes I took pride in returning kickoffs I uh, like to try to take it like to the house every chance every time you touch it but what really surprised me was I knew I could do the punt return and kickoff return but Miami they had me covering punts and kickoffs. I'd never tackled anybody in my life. <laughs> and here I am on the kickoff team and the punt, and the, uh, punt team. <laughs> so, so did you embrace having to tackle someone, or was that something that you just dreaded every time that you had to be on the, on that, on the kickoff team? I, I dreaded it at first, but then I really started to get, get into it and take pride in it, and I'd use my speed to just outrun everybody and try to force the play away from me so they wouldn't come at me. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. When you are on a team that has all that experience and everything, who were some of the vets that maybe you leaned on that you um, were mentored by, especially early in your career? Early in my career, I have to give a lot of credit to my receiver coach at the time was Howard Schnellenberger. Wow. He took the Miami job. He pulled me aside and showed me lots of film on Paul Warfield and gave me great compliments that my stride kind of emulated his and as a kid, he was one of my favorites anyway. So to go to a team where he played and to watch film on him, I, it was a great opportunity. And uh, just being a young kid, you don't know what to expect. 
And I remember going to Miami, and I'm, I'm running routes, and I, I, I pulled Coach aside. I said, Coach, uh, do I have to run this basic route like that? I said, I'd like to put some some wrinkles in it. He looked at me and said, Duriel, uh, he had a little cigar pipe smoking house. <laughs> Duriel, you can do that, but just end up where you're supposed to be on time. So with that, I started to be able to be more creative and running better routes and getting open. But being a rookie, not knowing, I was just running playbook routes my first week there, and that was just boring and wasn't getting the job done for me. So <laughs> uh, when he turned me loose and let me do my thing, that's when my career started to take off as a receiver. You played with a lot of different quarterbacks in your 10-year NFL career. Who was the best? Wow. Everybody, I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. I know. Everybody asked was the best, but because I, I played with Bob Greasy the majority of my career, I can say this, that he was so smart that we could take an 80-yard drive, go down the field, and South Florida, it's 95 degrees, and we come off the field, we're not even sweating. He could read the defense so well, he would call the perfect play against the defense to make us successful. And it was just so easy that sometimes we come off the field and we kind of relax because it was so easy. But Bob Grease was such a field general. You, you could never stomp him or catch him off guard. And uh, it was just an honor to play with a guy who was that knowledgeable of the game to, to put you in the best position to win. What was it like being part of a team that went to the Super Bowl? It was great. Uh, that's a, a childhood dream, I guess, of every athlete that, that plays the game and to get a chance to go. Uh, the game is uh, it was big at that time. It's gotten even bigger now, but it's something you'll never forget. And as a player, you, you work hard for it. And you get to do it. And uh, it goes by fast. You wish you could slow it down. but it the, goes, ga the game itself, yeah, yeah, it, the feels, game, it feels like it goes by fast. Oh, it goes out by real fast. Uh, when you uh, play development, you tell everybody, you don't have time to think. It has to be just a natural reaction. So that's why we rehearse things over and over and over because if you have to think about it, you're, you're beat. And that's why a lot of guys that, that transition, they have trouble just jumping into it and reacting. They want to think. And if you take time to think, the play is over. It's gone. I use the analogy uh, like this. If you're walking, say you got on your, your, your dress street clothes, dressed up nice, you see a puddle of water, RP3. You don't say, well, what did I do now? You just naturally avoid it, go around it. Right. That's the way it's being football. When you see something, you react and do it. You don't have time to, to think. It just moves too fast. we got to take a timeout, but Mr. Dario Harris is going to continue sitting in with us here as we wrap up hour number two on RP3 and company. I'm going to ask him about this, I don't know, some chair named after you there when you with your time at the Dolphins that's, that's going to be a good story and then also about the evolution of the game of the wide receiver or wide receiver position rather that's all coming up next right here on RP3 and company you're listening to the game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana Sports Station Welcome back to RP3 and Company as we wrap up hour number two. Mr. Duriel Harris joins us once again talking about his career. Ten years in the National Football League. Majority of that spent with the Miami Dolphins. He was an all-pro kickoff return man. Also a very good wide receiver. Got to play in a Super Bowl. All right, I want to transition a little bit here, Duriel. I want to talk about this story that I keep reading about that during your time with the Dolphins, uh, that they, your teammates and some coaches, named a chair after you. 
Can you uh, can you divulge what exactly that's about, my friend? It wasn't a lounge chair. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very uncomfortable chair, but uh, we'd be in the film room watching film, and uh, I have to admit, sometimes it was a, a little boring. They run it over and over and over, and we were majority a running team, so it wasn't like there was a lot of pass plays and wide receiver things going on. So occasionally it would just kind of lull you to sleep there, and uh, – and they kind of like had to wake me up a few times. Surely has a had a little light with a he point to the film for a career. Right. He got the shine of light on me. Dory, you with us? <laughs> yeah, coach, I am. <laughs> but it was uh, one of those things. But, uh, so they start teasing me about that and call it Durio's chair. So when I came in, they told all the rookies, "Hey, you can't sit there. That's Durio's chair." So that's the only nice thing that came out about it that I didn't have to run for a seat every year. It was Durio's chair. Nobody else was allowed to sit there. <laughs> Oh, uh, uh, you also um, not only did you play for Don Shula, you also played for another legendary coach as well. Uh, e- even though it was briefly in your career, uh, what was uh, Tom Landry like? Totally different from Don Shula. I couldn't be more extreme than anything I could think of. Tom Landry, I got to Dallas. It was more like a business IBM type atmosphere. Coach Landry was on the sideline with a bullhorn. And every once in a while, he'd get into the bull hunt, run it again, and that's all you'd hear from him. Whereas Coach Shula would be there in T-shirts and shorts, sticking his head in every huddle, knowing what the play is, involved, yelling and screaming at everybody. Coach Landry on the sideline, just as quiet as can be. I go to Dallas for a minicamp, and I'm all excited. I want to go out there and impress him, show him my route run ability. Three-day minicamp at Dallas, we never went onto the field. They kept us in film room watching films and doing exercises like uh, that movie, what was it, uh, with the kids where they were, uh, I can't think of the name of it now. But anyway, working hand-eye coordination skills on computer, a lot of that type of mental testing, but nothing physical. We never went out into the field the three days we were there. I, I, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, it is. That's what, and Because Coach Shula wouldn't allow that. He uh, real disciplinarian, and you're going to get out there, and you're going to get it, and he's going to be involved. So uh, the two guys were totally different, both successful, but I uh, prefer Coach Shula's tight ways in the huddle on hands. We'll wrap it up with this. You know, you played in an era where, as you mentioned, you catch 35 balls, you're considered one of the best in the league. I mean, you look at Swan and Stallworth, they, they never caught even close to 100 balls in a season. And they were considered some of the best in in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The the game has evolved so much, and wide receivers become such an important position. You know, just from a person who played that position, how crazy is it to see the evolution of it? It's it's mind blowing. I can remember the days when my idol Paul Warfield made the Pro Bowl on twenty nine catches. Today, that would never happen. But that's how good the guy was and respected he was. Today, you've got to catch 100 balls to be considered. When I played, if you caught 50, it was considered a great year. Now it's double that because of the uh, the passing game. Everybody's going to that. And so, in turn, that makes the wide receiver position more important. And that's why you see so much emphasis now on wide receivers because it's a throwing league now. Everybody passes the football. And this offseason, we saw so many teams – who drafted, developed their wide receivers into top five, top ten wide receivers, decide to trade them because they don't want to pay the massive amounts of money. But there's plenty of teams that were more than willing to say, come on down, here's a bunch of picks, we'll give him a $75 million, $100 million contract. Uh, 
Do you have any anything left in the tank to go out there and start running some routes again? Maybe oh. get a little bit of that paper? Third down only. <laughs> 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 I'd hate to get in shape for an everyday player, but third down, third. I'm available, guys. Third, third down. <laughs> oh, this has been great, uh, Mr. Harris. Thank you so much for making time. And quickly, the Aggie shirt, the color scheme, that, once again, for all you LSU fans, that is him representing New Mexico State, not Texas A&M. We just wanted to make sure that was clear for everyone, right? Yes, yes. Don't. I'm not. I'm not a Texas Aggie. I'm New Mexico State, so I'm not your rival. <laughs> Mr. Duro, thank you so much, brother. Hey, Appreciate you. your time. Appreciate you, RP3. That's going to do it for hour number two. Hour number three coming up right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Welcome back to RP3 and Company, 805 on this Friday, the 13th edition of RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parch III. I'm joined inside the game studio by the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names. Great show so far, right? Not a bad way to wrap up your work week. Two hours down. Had two great guests, James Yasko, breaking down all things Houston Astros. The Astros, winners of 10 straight, swept the Minnesota Twins. They're gearing up for a series at the Washington Nationals. First pitch for tonight's game, 6.05 from D.C. Can be heard right here on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM. Actually, you'll be able to listen to all three games of that weekend series on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM. Astros, 10 in a row. We can talk about Jordan Alvarez. You heard James Yasko speak on it last hour when he said it's a realistic expectation that Alvarez could be could hit 50 home runs this year. Pena does not look like the show is too big for him. And I'm not just talking by the fact that, you know, he leads the team in batting average, tied for the lead with RBIs, second on the team in home runs. His glove work is nasty. It just is. And he stepped right into that role. The Strohs could have themselves another rookie of the year on the roster. They know how to develop their young talent. Now, look, it does help for Pena that he's joining a team where you have the likes of Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Michael Brantley, Jordan Alvarez, Kyle Tucker, Yuli, Yuli Gurriel. Yuli's a little bit of a concern. Now, James told us that he felt like Yuli's just got a little unlucky this year and doesn't think that there'll be any type of move made, but Yuli's struggling. He is. He's struggling at the plate. And he was your AL batting champion a year ago. And he's the old man on the team. He's the old man. But 
His glove work, filthy. Filthy. Look what Carlos Correa is trying to do in Minnesota when he is playing. Uh, that first baseman for the Twins doesn't scoop up those bounce bounce balls like Yuli is great at doing. But the Strohs, they are rolling. First place in the AL West, winners of 10 straight. The hitting is there. The rookie is playing not like a rookie at all. Verlander looks really good, but it's the rest of the pitching staff that stands out to me. Is this going to last? Absolutely not. Are they going to have six guys that they can rely on for the rest of the season? No. Some of these guys are going to fall back to earth. Absolutely. But you got a lot of guys early on here a month into the season that are proving to Dusty Baker that they can be trusted to be called on. And you got to love that if you're an Astros fan. you got to love the depth of your starting pitching. you got to love what you're seeing out of your bullpen. They were magnificent again yesterday in the second game. Garcia was excellent. And then the bullpen came in, pitched four innings, only gave up two hits. The way the roster is constructed with the veteran manager, the skipper, who's past 2,000 wins, this is a team that's going to be a contender yet again. We also spent last hour talking with Mr. Duriel Harris. Great stories there. We forget we live in an era now where everyone passes. There's seven on seven constantly, right? We have guys growing up playing that style of football. He grew up there in Port Arthur, which has produced so many ridiculous athletes and coaches. But he grew up in an era where everyone ran the wishbone. <laughs> he had to go to New Mexico State to be in an offense where they could utilize his talents. But I've said it before. The other thing that he mentioned, he developed an ability to play special teams. And I've said it before on this show, and I'll say it again. If you play college football, in particular, if you play at a place that's not considered big boy football, Duriel had to go to New Mexico State to play, but he figured out he played special teams as well. If you can do multiple things at a smaller school, you are going to get drafted. You will have an opportunity to make a roster in the National Football League. You get your foot in the door via special teams, and then you can stay because of that. Look at Percy Butler with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. He got drafted in the fourth round. People are like, why did he get drafted in the fourth round? You know why he got drafted in the fourth round? Because, yeah, he's a very good defensive back, but he also is a hell of a special teams player. And an NFL team goes, I get two players for the price of one. Two for one. I get a guy that can line up on defense. Oh, and by the way, he can play special teams for me. And special teams is critical at the next level. At the pro level, you need to have great special teams play if you're going to want to win championships. And every team looks for guys that way. And that's what Durio did back in the day. He became an all-pro for the Dolphins as a kick returner. Some great stories there about Don Shula. It's so funny how many guys that we run into here. Mr. Lloyd Mumford, who lives now in Eunice, he played for the Dolphins back in the day. We've interviewed him on the show. Now, Mr. Harris, 
super dupers from Louisiana. There's a lot of guys with ties to the Dolphins that come around Central and Southwest Louisiana. It's funny how that kind of just works out. Great conversation there with Mr. Durio Harris. Coming up in about 10 minutes from right now, of course, Nick Fondo will join us here in hour number three for cashing tickets. Oh, yeah. Going to help put some money in your back pocket. What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? What are we going to talk about? NFL schedule. Oh, yeah. You can bet on that. NBA playoffs. Maybe. Wait for it. NHL playoffs. What? Hockey coming up. And USFL. But right now, it's time for us here on RP3 and Company. As we do every Friday morning, kicking off hour number three, is unveiled the phone call that rose to the top. The phone call that stood out more than the rest. It's time for the Game Changer of the Week. Here is this week's RP3 and Company Game Changer. It's our buddy, Doug. Doug, good morning to you, brother. What is on your mind, my friend? Morning, morning, Ray. I'm picking blackberries right now. Oh, that, um, my man's living the best life. You start your day picking <laughs> some blackberries. He's speaking my language, brother. Hey, man, I got an LSU blackberry bush, brother. <laughs> what? Yes, sir. Oh, yes, sir. I got it 20 years ago from LSU. Man, this thing can produce. Might have to send you a jar of blackberries, Ray. I'm all, I, man, I, I'm all about that, brother. Thank you. Thank I you. I got you, brother. I got you. Hey, Ray, if the Cajuns win the Sun Belt, you don't think they can host? No. I don't think I, I don't think where they're at. They're, they're right in the bottom of the top 25, right, as it stands right yeah. now. They would need a lot of yeah. help. And even though Jerry Glasgow's team turned a corner about the midway point of the season, Doug, they don't have enough of those big caliber wins. Remember, they lost all their games to LSU. Right. They lost to Alabama right. twice. They lost to Texas twice. Now, they beat Texas, okay? And I have seen some projections that have the Cajuns either in Texas for an Austin regional. That would be favorable because they already know Texas and they've right. already beat them. I've also seen them possibly projected to be in the Tuscaloosa regional, which is not going, you know, that's not no, what you want. No. That's not what you want. Yeah, I'd rather see him in the, in the Austin regional. But, but – I was watching that Tiger game last night, Ray, and I'm telling you, man, if I could afford another TV, my remote would have went flying through my TV in the living room. <laughs> that was a gut wrencher, man. They just played. They just played so poorly. I think they looked past there. Remember, we've talked about this before, Doug. It, yeah, they have Sinceri. They have a couple other girls, but they're like the Cajuns. They're very young. And I think that was a classic case yesterday where you saw a team that hadn't really been on that stage before. I'm talking about the young girls playing, not talking the team or the coach. And they didn't, they weren't as prepared as they should have been. And Mississippi State, as the 11 seed, they got nothing to lose. They played that way. And then LSU started playing a little tight. As the game went on, they started playing a little tight and they left all those runners on the base pass. Well, Alex Kilporn, and God bless her. I mean, she did everything she could to keep that team in the game. And, you know, and, and they fought back to tie it up in the seventh, but just a couple of bad angles on some balls, and and that was it. You know, it gave uh, Mississippi State uh, 
some runs, and that was it. They couldn't come back from that. But, I mean, we're, we're going to look forward to the um, regionals and see what happens. I think the Cajuns, man, they're on a 10-game winning streak. I mean, they, they're tough right now. They're peaking at the right time. They really are. They really are, Doug. Absolutely. Thanks for taking my call, Ray. I appreciate it, brother. I'll be expecting those blackberries any day now. You got it, brother. (laughs) That was this week's RP3 and Company Game Changer of the Week. Shout out to Doug for a couple reasons. You want to know why his phone call was the Game Changer of the Week? I'll break it down for you. A, he admitted that his fandom sometimes gets the best of him. If he had an additional TV, he would have broke one with his remote. I can respect the fandom and the passion. Two, he offered to bring us blackberries. Boom, done. It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. Doug came with good content, good take, displayed his passion, and also uh, says he's going to bring us some blackberries. Fresh blackberries. My man bought a blackberry bush from LSU like 20 years ago. It's producing blackberries like it ain't nobody's business. Shout out to Doug. Game changer of the week. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. What do you make of the Saints' schedule? Do you love it? Do you like it? Do you hate it? Right now, 56% of you say you like it. 32% say you hate it. 12% say you love it. Keep those comments coming on the poll question of the day. Keep those votes coming. We'll break down the Saints' schedule a little bit more when TJ Jones from the State of the Saints podcast joins us in about 15 minutes from right now. But coming up next, after this timeout, Nick Fondo, cashing tickets, NFL schedule, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, and a little USL, USFL for you. That's all coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Tired of having your pockets emptied out due to bad sports bets? 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Don't! Listen up, because it's time to take down some notes and get paid with advice from semi-pro gambler Nick Fontenot. I get so nervous when I gamble. I'm so silly. Here is Cashing Tickets on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station, simulcast on Stadium 32.3. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Pars III. It's time for us to cash tickets with Nick Fondo. Nick, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Man, the air conditioner at the house is out, so it's really hot. Like, it's it's just, it's insane. And because of how the derby went last weekend, you don't have the, the money to get that fixed immediately, right? <laughs> yeah, nobody nobody won. Uh, 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 I heard there was a story of an old lady who bet on Rich Strike because she felt sorry for the horse that nobody was betting on the horse. So she bet like she bet like a thousand dollars on Rich Strike and ended up winning eighty grand. That old lady is the only person that won any money on the horse racing last week. <laughs> uh, all right, bud. Let's get to it. Let's talk a little bit about the the schedule. 
just as a Saints fan, do you like how the schedule was constructed for the Saints? Because I'm not a Saints fan, and I don't care for it all that much for them. I think they're going to be a really good team, and I don't think it's going to matter, but the schedule itself is, I don't know, eh, a little little below average in my opinion. Well, yeah, it's, it's back-loaded. Right, and they have all all, all the good games, all, all the tough games in, in the back end. And, and if you talk to Kevin Foot, he's panicking. Right, he, he says the team needs to be six and zero, something they've done only twice in in the entire history of the franchise. So he's looking for a historic start. I'm not quite there. I think they can probably get get by with three and three, four and two, and then go into that in that in that last stretch and, and make them run of the playoffs. Like, gambling wise, I mean, if I'm looking at the futures of the season, the Saints are over under seven and a half wins. When you think about the Saints since the year 2000, they've only won fewer than than seven games one time, and that was the the Katrina year. Other than that, they haven't won less than seven ever since the year 2000, and so seven and nine has been their absolute four. And so if you're looking at a team to go se- to win seven and a half of these games for the season, I think the Saints are a pretty good bet. So if, if you can find seven and a half, which is that's what I'm seeing on pretty much every sports book, if you can get these future bets, you look at the schedule, it looks difficult, but I, I think they're going to win a minimum of eight games. So I think there's a lot of money to be made right there. If you look at the schedule that came out yesterday and look at the win totals, over seven and a half wins, I would say that's as close to a lock as it gets. There's nothing that happened this offseason that makes the Saints worse. So I would I would put a lot of money on that seven and a half wins. I think that's a really good bet for the Saints coming up, even after the schedule release yesterday. Yeah, and I, I liked them to win more than seven and a half games even before the schedule came out. I just I look, I, every year the turnover for the playoffs is half the teams that made it the year before don't make it the next year. So it, it's hard to predict predict games. I just look at how a team is constructed and how much talent they have. If a team stays healthy, if the Saints can stay healthy, they look like a 10-win team to me. And in the NFC this coming season, that's going to be good enough to win a division or make a deep playoff run. So that's how I kind of look at it. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think a lot of it depends on when we get these suspensions that are coming out, right? Alvin Kamara's suspension is, of course, the big one. And we're almost certain that he's going to get suspended. When are they going to do it? Are they going to do it at the beginning of the year? Well, a lot of people think no. Are they going to do it in the middle of the year? Well, that's unfortunate for the Saints because the middle of the year is where we're going to need Kamara. I would prefer to get it over with in the beginning because that's when you have your, your easier parts of the schedule. If, if you look at week one for the Saints, they play the Falcons, and they open up as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. So if you look at these week one lines and, and you're looking for a way to, to bet these, these games, it, it's really hard to do. It's really hard to look at week one and bet it now even though you might see a line like Saints minus three and a half and say, I think the Saints are better, but how's the team going to be constructed? Is anybody going to get hurt in the, in the, in the preseason? Is anybody going to, uh, you know, get cut or, or not sign? Or is your favorite player going to do this and that? So you might be able to find some value in these week one lines because all the week one lines are out and you can bet on every single week one game right now. But it, it, it might benefit you to actually wait a little bit closer to the start of the season because these teams and the way they're constructed and especially with the Saints when you start talking about these suspensions to Alvin Kamara and May and all these guys that may be losing time, it's really not advantageous to bet on these week one games right now, but they're available right now and you can do it if you want to. We're talking with Nick Fawn Notes, cashing tickets 
All right, bud, let's get to some NBA playoff action. Some of the series are wrapped up. Some of them have been extended, surprisingly. Let's start with what happened last night. Mavericks, Luka, possessed. Phoenix looks tired. They're being tested again by a lower seed. That's going to go to a game seven. How you been game seven between the Suns and the Mavs? That's the best point that I was going to make, Ray, is that they are tired. I mean, just think about what they went through with the lowly Pelicans. They had to go six games with the Pelicans. The Pelicans gave them everything they wanted. Herb Jones was a beast in that series, and they got way more than they wanted from the Pelicans. Now you're going over to Dallas, and everybody was thinking it was going to be a decent series. But Dallas doesn't really have anybody else with Luka, and Luka's proven that that's enough. Like, that's enough to win a minimum of three games in this series, and if he does it one more time, they'll win the series. That's how good Luka Doncic is. So I, I think I think I'm gonna go with the Suns. I, I still think they, they have enough. I still think they're the best team in the NBA. I still think the home field advantage is gonna play a factor and they're gonna win the game. But man, there's some great value on the Mavericks. They're plus six in the game, but the money line is plus two hundred. So if you think Luka has enough to get it done, you can double your money. You can bet 100 and win 200 on the Mavericks just basically winning this game and therefore winning this series. And if you watched the game last night, you saw what Luka did. You know he's capable of doing it. He's played better at home than he has on the road. This game seven is going to be in Phoenix. But if you're, like, if you're one of those people that like, like, to, like to see that plus, right, you like to bet that underdog, this is a very good spot to make some money with the Mavs plus 200. You like Mavs plus 200 there. What about this Bucks? and Celtic series uh what a terrible way to lose a game for Boston as they kind of implode down the stretch Milwaukee takes a three to two lead they're the defending champs Nick do you like the Bucks to close this out in six or seven I do I like them to close it out in six I think that it's it's too hard to come back from what the Celtics had uh in the last game I mean I think up until I don't know, 30 seconds to go in the game. I thought the Celtics had it won. And, and, and I think the Celtics thought they had it won, and most people did. And they kind of locked it up. And we were going back to Milwaukee with the Celtics up. Now we're going back to Milwaukee with the Bucks up. And I, and I just think the Bucks are, are are the better team. And Giannis, is, he, he's the type of player that can you can put the team on your back and you can ride that all the way to a championship. I think somebody like Luka, you can ride Luka to a few series wins, but he's going to need some help. To, to win a championship. I think Giannis is not that. You can put it all on Giannis and expect, hey, I need you to get me 35 a night, and he's going to go out there and get you 35 a night and 15 rebounds, and you can ride Giannis all the way to a championship. They kind of did it last year. They have Drew, who plays great defense, and we know with uh, Drew Holiday, we have a lot of history here in New Orleans with him. He's going to play defense, and he's going to get points. With a Middleton out, I think it would have been easier for them to win a championship, but I think Giannis can pick up that load that, that you miss with Middleton and ride them all the way. So I think the Bucks are going to win game six. And I think they're going to go on to, to win the Eastern Conference and, and then play either the Suns or the Warriors in the, uh, in the finals. All right, bud, we'll get you out of here with this. USFL, we know you love it. We know you love spending money on betting on it, and you're putting money in your back pocket because you are a master when it comes to USFL bets. What you got this weekend for the Breakers, bud? Okay, I've been learning a lot about the USFL, like way more than I did before this started. And so even even just talking back and forth to you on a weekly basis, Raven, I'm, I'm learning more about this USFL. So You're I, welcome. I, my favorite bet is the Michigan Panthers 
because I didn't even know that was Bobby Abraham's foreign team, or former team. So I'm going, I'm going Michigan Panthers on the money line. They're playing Tampa Bay. You know, I hate Tampa Bay. I hate everything Tampa Bay. The Lightning, the Lightning are playing Game Seven in, in, in hockey coming up on Saturday. I hate Tampa Bay Lightning. The Tampa Bay Bandits in the USFL. I hate them. So I'm going Michigan Panthers. And let's look at the Breakers. The Breakers are minus three playing the New Jersey Generals. I'm a lifelong New Orleans Breakers fan, as you know. <laughs> So I'm going with the Breakers. So give me the Panthers and the Breakers this week as my as my stone cold locks for the USFL. Bud, appreciate your time as always. Enjoy your weekend. Hope you get your AC fixed, my man. All right, man. Thanks, Ray. Hey, just a reminder. Tomorrow, Saturday, over at LSU Eunice. That's right, Cajun Prairie. They're going to be celebrating and supporting our local veterans this Saturday with Vet Fest. That's right. There's going to be a benefits symposium for the veterans, a job and resources fair as well, plus food, uh, beverages, adult variety as well, and live music from Dustin Sonier and The Wanted and Gino Delafosse and French Rock and Boogie. Veterans, by the way, eat for free. So go check out LSUE's Vet Fest this Saturday there on the Cajun Prairie on the campus of LSUE. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. We're going to break down the Saints schedule with our guy TJ Jones from the State of the Saints podcast. He'll join us live next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. May 13th, 1893. The first intercollegiate athletic contest in LSU history takes place. In connection with Military Field Day, the LSU baseball team takes on Tulane and wins the contest 10-8. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Here in Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look, if you are a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, a pool, or for any other reason, you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year. And there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple, it's free of charge, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service. And to promote public safety, Louisiana 811 and the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, reminds you call 811 and know it's below before you dig don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day what are your thoughts on the saints schedule now that it's officially released do you like it love it or hate it leave your comments on facebook and twitter 
But right now, it's time for us to talk about the said schedule. It's time for us to talk to our old friend from the State of the Saints podcast. It's time for us to talk with T.J. Jones. And is ready for Saints talk. The give to Camara. Breaks through. Spins at the two. Into the end zone. Touchdown! Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3 and Company. TJ, my man, how are you, brother? Hey, Ray, how you doing, man? Glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great, man. First question right off the bat. Um, Why does the NFL want to have New Orleans play so many games inside the city of Philadelphia? (laughs) I have absolutely no idea. Um, The only logical explanation I have is the fact that Philadelphia – is one of those uh, major markets. And um, for some apparent reason, man, it, it does seem like the Philadelphia Eagles end up playing the Saints in Philly. And it seemed like they always get the home field advantage. It seemed All like the, the time. All the push, time. It seemed like the Saints have to push the issue, even like in the playoffs. I mean, in the divisional round. I mean, Philly, Philly, I think, played the Saints twice, if I'm not mistaken. They played the Saints in the Superdome earlier that year, and the Saints kind of beat the brakes off of them. And then you have the divisional round where the Saints had a better seed. But I, I have absolutely no idea. But hopefully, uh, it won't be the same outcome as it was last last year, where Philly just ran the ball down the same strokes. Hopefully, we will have a different outcome. Oh, I hope so, brother. I hope so. All right, let, let's look at this schedule. Uh, I've very much hate the games in London. I hate the the international games. I just do because you're taking away a home game for the home fans and that advantage. I, I, I if you want to play over overseas. You want to play in London? Make it preseason games. It's a novelty game for them anyway. And preseason games, we don't really care about here stateside. How do you feel about that? Well, I just think that the NFL uh, are capitalists. Uh, they're trying to, uh, you know, get into that uh, UK market. And they're trying to bring teams that, that seem to be appealing. So, you know, those uh, UK fans can be excited about it. I just find it very ironic. Um, I'm, I, I like the the, the games uh, overseas, but I find it very ironic that you will send the Saints, uh, you know, to the UK uh, to play a game where you feel like they would generate excitement. But on the other hand, you gave them absolutely no primetime games on NBC. Like, I, I don't understand that. But uh, I think that it will be a great experience, especially like for fans. I hear a lot of fans are saying that, you know, they're going to travel and it gives uh, you know people opportunities that probably wouldn't have had a reason to actually leave the country to do so. So I've heard people that went overseas, you know, the last time the Saints uh, played against the Miami Dolphins a couple of years ago, and they talked about how excited they are. So I, I think that it's an, an exciting time, even though you know that home game, you know, be taken away. I mean, I can make an argument to say maybe the Saints need to play away from home the way they did last year where they won more games away than they did in the Superdome. It's a fair point about how they performed in the Superdome last year. I just, they had to give up a home game last year because of a hurricane. And now you're taking another home game away from them the next year by sending them to London. I I just, I I, I don't, it it just doesn't jive with me. But Ray, hey, they took that game away and they played Green Bay and they and they beat them pretty badly, right? <laughs> also, this so, so this man's already so you're already predicting a win over the Vikings in Week Four is what you're telling me. 
hey, I don't have a problem with the Minnesota Vikings in week four during the regular season. I have a problem with the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> They're in the postseason. In a postseason. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. That's fair. I'll, I'll give you that. That's fair, brother. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit more about this schedule. Mm-hmm. Opening up with three of the four games away from New Orleans, even though the Vikings game counts as a home game because it's in London. Right. But the first three are all divisional games. What do you make of that? Uh, that's a little bit of a shock. You know, normally it seems like the NFL, when they do schedules, they kind of hold those divisional games a little bit further into the schedule. I find it very shocking that you're starting the season off against uh, the Atlanta Falcons. You know, the Atlanta Falcons are the Saints' bitter rivals. And I always just think that they bring out the best in one another. And I always think that, you know, if you're a fan of both of these teams, it's must-see television. And I think that, you know, normally those games will be around week eight or week nine. Uh, as far as like, you know, playing against Tampa and stuff like that, it was a little bit of a shock to me. But uh, they're all winnable games for the Saints, regardless to them playing, you know, those games away. I mean, I think the Saints have a really good team. Uh, I think that defensively, I think they're going to build off what they did last year. And they also it also helped their offense by bringing in some guys uh, like Chris Olave, you know, to go alongside Michael Thomas, who's coming back. Uh, I think that the Saints have a chance to win these divisional games and also to give you a, a, a jump um, at the, later on in the season and see and, and seeing where you are uh, as far as draft seating and positioning uh, going into the postseason. We're talking with T.J. Jones, host of the State of the Saints podcast. He joins us here in RP3 and company for the Big Easy Blitz. All right, bud. Look, I'm not going to ask you to predict wins and losses because I, I personally always feel like that's a little foolish because you don't know what the injury <laughs> situation is going to be like right, and the right. turnover so much in the NFL from one postseason right. to the next, right? So right. I, I do like the roster that's been built by the Saints. Mm-hmm. Let's look at the schedule as a whole. What are some of the games that kind of pop to you just as a fan? Now, take away, you know, what it means, you know, being primetime or not primetime or whatever it might be. What are the games that kind of stand out to you? You go, oh, okay, that's that's interesting. Well, <laughs> believe it or not, it's the game versus the Las Vegas Raiders. You know, it, it seems like to me like the Raiders always seem to have the Saints number. You know, no matter how bad the Raiders are, no matter how bad of a train wreck they, they seem to be, they always seem to be game – play against the Saints so so that's a game that kind of stands out to me and also a little bit of a shocker uh you talk about uh, the Saints always traveling to Philadelphia the Saints always seem to have to travel to Seattle but this time they're actually playing Seattle in the Superdome you know it's, it's very rare that you see that normally it seems like the Saints have to go to CenturyLink Field but that's the game that that stands out to me as well and also I mean you, you have to you have to bring up the game versus the Cincinnati Bengals I mean Louisiana's uh, son, even though he's not from Louisiana, Joe Burrow comes back along with Jamar Chase and, uh, you know, those guys to take on uh, the New Orleans Saints inside of the Superdome. So, you know, a lot of LSU fans, a lot of Louisiana, uh, you know, uh, you know, natives are going to be excited to see Joe Burrow come back uh, to play against the New Orleans Saints. So those are the games that kind of stand out to me. The other ones that kind of stand out, I agree with you, those stand out to me. The Monday night football game against the Ravens, um, mm-hmm. that that stands out. That could be a really good okay. game. And, yeah. you know, they're taking on the defending world champs, too, at, yeah, in, in, yeah. at, in New Orleans. So taking on the Rams, I find that to be uh, another game to kind of go, hey, that, that could be really good. TJ, yeah. let's step away from the schedule talk. 
Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. You know, there's been a lots of reports flying around about Jarvis Landry possibly coming to the Saints. With Michael Thomas coming back, with drafting Chris Olave like they did in the first round, right. do the Saints still need to go get a veteran free agent wide receiver, or are you confident in the group that they already have? Um, my answer to that question is no. Uh, the Saints don't need Jarvis Landry. You know, I mentioned that on the State of the Saints podcast. You know, Jarvis Landry is, is an incredible talent. I mean, we've watched him, especially if you lived in Louisiana. You watched him throughout his whole entire football life. You know, I, I think that he can bring something to the team. But you already addressed the position of need, the, that number two wide receiver, right? And you got Chris Olave. You moved up into the draft to get a guy with his type of skill set, his type of ability. And then I just feel like with Marquez Callaway, a guy who's seen uh, a lot of number one looks from cornerbacks last season, it's going to help him. And also you got guys like Lil Jordan Humphrey, uh, Trey Klein Smith. I mean, if you know, I think that, you know, he's like a three or four, you know, maybe some of the pressure can be alleviated off of him and maybe he can play a little bit better. And Deontay Hardy, these are guys that have been on this team for quite some time. Uh, they understand the offense of the New Orleans Saints. They have chemistry with Jameis Winston. So I don't think Jarvis Landry is necessary. Now, if he ends up signing with the New Orleans Saints, of course, I mean, it would be a great addition. I mean, his skill set would, uh, you know, definitely be needed. But if you were to ask me today, do the Saints need Jarvis Landry on their team? I would say no. All right, bud. Did you go ahead and get your custom um, Tyron Matthew jersey? Are you one of the people that helped shut down NFLshop.com? <laughs> uh no man i'm um, i'm excited to see tyron matthew uh you know sign with the new orleans saints just like everyone else but uh I, i'm not in that number you know no pun intended <laughs> uh <laughs> it just so happens that my son uh he's uh his birthday is next week he's turning three and i actually bought him a alvin Kamara jersey so uh there you, you know, go yeah so <laughs> I, i'm excited about tyron matthew but uh i think i'll wait you know to add that jersey to my collection there you go, man. There you go. Hey, tell the folks how they can follow you on social media and where they can go to get the latest episodes of the State of the Saint podcast, man. Uh, you can check out the State of the Saints podcast on all streaming uh, networks, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio. We're also a part of Anchor FM and the Skin Podcast Network. Uh, and also, uh, I'm also uh, writing articles for the East West uh, Sports uh, page, uh, eastwestsports1.com. Uh, you can check out some articles that I wrote as well. Uh, thank you so much, Ray, for having me, and uh, look forward to speaking with you uh, when the Saints are winning double-digit games. <laughs> there it is, brother. There it is. Enjoy your weekend, my friend. We'll talk soon. All right. Take care, man. Hey, if you haven't joined the Game Clubhouse yet, you need to make today the day that you're going to do it. That's right. Friday the 13th is the day that you're going to join our clubhouse. Go visit 1041thegame.com or 1037thegame.com. Click on the Rewards Club tab. Boom, sign up. It's easy and it's free. And once you become a member, you're going to have the opportunity to score free stuff. Like, I don't know, a $50 gift certificate to Half Show Oyster House. That's right. Some delicious Gulf seafood. You can take your lady out, have a great time. Or you can also score a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse down at Cypress Bayou. Mouth-watering steaks. Delicious desserts, adult beverages, a cigar room. It's a great place for a night on the town. So, look, go become a member of our clubhouse today. 
Once you do, you'll have the opportunity to win a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse or a $50 gift certificate to the Half Shell Oyster House. But you can only win those by becoming a member of our clubhouse. So go sign up today. It's free to do so. We got to take a timeout, our final one of today's show. When we come back, we'll finalize the poll question of the day, get you set up for Kevin Foote and footnotes. That's all next right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Susan, I'm sorry I'm late. Traffic is terrible. It sure is. But on top of that, gas prices have been skyrocketing. I can't believe how expensive gas has gotten recently. Prices at the pump are up, but I never pay full price for gas anymore. I just use the free Upside app that pays you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get paid cash when you buy gas with the Upside app? Yes, I get real cash back every time I buy gas. And does that actually add up to anything? I've made around $200. Wow, that's serious extra cash i'm downloading the free upside app now download the free upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas use promo code earn for a five dollar bonus on your first tank that's promo code earn you can cash out anytime right to your bank account to paypal or an e-gift card for amazon and other brands just download the free upside app and use promo code earn for a five dollar bonus on your first tank that's code earn for a five dollar bonus the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles wants to upgrade your experience for downtown rising with the ultimate Downtown Rising VIP experience. You can score a pair of VIP passes plus a chance to meet the Cold War kids. Simply register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to win VIP passes for Downtown Rising featuring Cold War kids on Saturday, June the 4th. Yeah, VIP passes. Get access behind the scenes. Oh, and you get a chance to meet the headliners, maybe get us some selfies, get an autograph, Maybe they'll want to hang out with you. Maybe they'll say, hey, won't you come on the road with us? You never do know what's going to happen. But we want to hook you up with our Downtown Rising VIP experience. It's presented by Social Entertainment, Radar Solutions, Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Also reminder, tomorrow, under the dome with CD, the world-famous Clint Domain will be on the road. He's going to be broadcasting live from Lake Charles this Saturday for This Is Home Festival. Under the dome, host CD will be broadcasting his show live 9 to 11 from Ryan Street in downtown Lake Charles for the festival. There's going to be live music all day long. Food, vendors, beer, and wine. Plus, guess what? CD will be there. He's got stuff to give away koozies game t-shirts oh and downtown rising tickets that's right so not only listen in to under the dome with cd live from lake charles but swing bay swing by and say hi to the world famous one at this is home festival in lake charles tomorrow let's check in on the poll question of the day get those final results for you before we sign off on today's RP3 and Company, we asked you, what do you make of the Saints' schedule? We know Kevin Foote, not a fan. He expressed that 
in a loud decibel yesterday, I do believe, on the air when the schedules were starting to be leaked. <laughs> but we wanted to hear from you. What do you make of the Saints' schedule? 59% of you like it. 30% say you hate it. 11% say you love it. Appreciate all who commented on the poll question of the day. Darren chimes in. God bless him. No one had seen the Jets schedule, I see. <laughs> Darren, you keep being that Jets man. Darren's the only Jets fan I know in my life. The other one, Louis Prejean, but he lives in California now, and I don't think he pays attention to the Jets anymore. So <laughs> I think it's just you, D. You're the lone man standing, my friend. And when they're going to be great, you can drive the bus. You can drive the bandwagon, my friend, and you'll decide who gets to be on that bad boy or not. Want to take a moment to thank all of our guests, James Yasko from the Lima Time Time podcast, Duriel Harris, former NFL wide receiver, Nick Fondo for cashing tickets, and of course, TJ Jones from the State of the Saints podcast. Busy weekend on tap. We got CD over in Lake Charles. We got the Vet Fest over at LSUE. We got McNeese softball trying to win the conference tournament today. We got the Raging Cajun softball team trying to win its semifinal game, which starts in about an hour. Cajuns baseball is at Texas State for a key three-game series. LSU's at home versus Ole Miss. McNeese trying to clinch the one seed and the regular season championship in the Southland against Houston Baptist. Woo! And NBA playoffs and NHL playoffs. What a weekend it's going to be. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Flexing It Up herself, Hannah Five Names. I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again on Monday from 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.